0: Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Andrea Blyden, the CEO of Live Crime. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Andrea, it's been a minute since we last spoke, but you know, for our audience, many of whom are beauty insiders, they know that you've been a beauty junkie and you've been at many different corporations like L'Oreal and The Body Shop, but how did you first kind of in, start engaging with this category and, and why were you interested in it?
1: Well, I started my career in the startup world and in fashion, and fashion and beauty actually operate very, very similarly. And um, I got the opportunity to go to Kiehl's, and it was an amazing, amazing job and role um, in the early days of building their e-com business, and I was really interested, and that kind of propelled me into the beauty category. And from there, I just really loved it and never wanted to go back into the fashion world but I actually went to fashion school and thought I was going to do like fashion for the rest of my life.
0: Like being a designer or a merchandiser? I wanted to own,
1: like run and own my own fashion brand.
0: That's incredible. That's really interesting. How would you say that that's similar or different to running a beauty business, which is what you do now? Well, I think in fashion, you, know, you, um, you launch things and
1: then it lives for shorter periods of time, especially I, I worked in the denim world. So you add some core items, but I would say the majority were trend driven. And what I love about beauty is you launch things. Some of those things stay around for a very, very long period of time. So it's so exciting. You constantly like get to reinvent how you, uh, you know, remarket core product and um, retell that story. So I like that in beauty, your products live with you for a lot longer.
0: Tell me a little bit about that because, you know, obviously Lime Crime has a history and, you know, we're going to get into that in a second, but so many of the other brands that you've been with, like the body shop is also has a very big founding story, a legacy brand story that, you know, you had to uphold to, but also tweak as you modernized it. So how are you doing that now um, with Lime Crime? Well, I think actually where the Body Shop and Lime
1: Crime really are similar is like they were both brands that were before their time. So there were trailblazers, like Anita Roddick from The Body Shop, such a trailblazer. I mean, if she was still alive today, like she is the most relevant, relevant person for for today and what's happening in this political um, climate. And I think very similar in Lime Crime, you know, Lime Crime was one of the first brands that really took off on social um, way ahead of trends. You know, Lime Crime isn't the brand that follows the tra- trend. Lime Crime is ahead of the trend, um, really color-focused. So I think in in the regard of being ahead of the time, both brands are very, very similar. Um, obviously, Lime Crime is much smaller, startup-y, which really takes me back to the beginnings of my career that I loved.
0: And what about with the body shop? Like, obviously, you know, when it first debuted, that was almost thirty years ago. You know, Anita had this had this idea for a brand that was purpose driven, that was better for you ingredients. Um, you know, thirty years to kind of modernize that brand is very different for a brand like Lime Crime, which was launched in two thousand and eight, I believe. Yes. And so tell me a little bit about how, you know, you know, you have a shorter timeframe, but, you know, the beauty business has changed so much in just those 15 years.
1: Yeah. I mean, the beauty business has changed so much in those 15 years, but I would say even in the two years that I've been at Lime Crime. So I joined May of 2020, wild time to join a brand. I mean, if you think about Even in like that very condensed period of time, this brand has evolved and changed so much. So when I joined, it was the peak of lockdown, people not understanding how long they're going to be home and really open to coloring their hair. So... I would say that for me, it's not even focused necessarily on the 2008, but the 2020 shift and what that's meant for our business, because in two years, this business has rapidly changed. It used to be predominantly makeup with a very small hair color business. Now, today, it's 70% hair color, 30% makeup. That shift will change at the end of the year as we launch some new retail and makeup. It will be closer to 50-50 next year. But I would say that I'm always super focused on just like the past two years have changed with this brand so much. We've gone from a prestige brand to a much more mastige brand to really align with our target audience. Um, I would say all, all the things that are so top of mind for me aren't from 2008, but they're from 2020.
0: So Andrea, I have to ask you, You know, obviously Lime Crime was also one of the very first influencer founded brands and Doe, dear, was a very big part of the brand. What is her role and, and participation in the brand today? Because I know after she left the brand, you know there was another executive team at Lime Crime for about two years before you came on board.
1: Yeah, so today she plays no, no role in the brand. So her and her husband uh, left the board in June of 2020. So they're not on the board, they're not involved in any decision-making process for the brand today. I've had close to zero contact with them since I've started.
0: And is that a very different from the prior executive team's participation with her?
1: I mean, my my handover with the prior team was pretty short and condensed, particularly in that I was in New York and it was COVID and I was moving and there was no in-person interaction. But yes, I would say that the biggest difference is, is that they are no longer on the board.
0: You know, in terms of Lime Crime, you know, it's 2008, like, I mean, the last two years have been feels like a lifetime and obviously 2008, you know, feels like a lifetime as well, but Lime Crime started off as like a very millennially focused brand. Millennials have obviously aged quite a bit in this time period. I consider myself a geriatric millennial, like, whereas, you know, 15 years ago, I was probably Lime Crime's target customer. So how are you kind of, revamping the brand to appeal to maybe younger millennials and also Gen Z, which range from 24 to nine years old. Yeah. So I would say like
1: our sweet spot is really 15 to 30 years old. And I totally hear you on the geriatric millennial because I'm right there with you. Um, But I would say that more so like our sweet spot in that 15 to 30 years old, and you know, obviously it goes up and down a bit from there, is that we need to uh, stay true to what lime crime is, so what lime crime is it's a brand that is setting the trends really color color driven so you know when we try to like tap into a trend, and I'll give you an example so in um in covid lip lip oil did amazing you know lip care uh the category saw a shift from you know lip color to lip care. And for us, we had already developed, before I started, a lip oil and a lip scrub. We launched it at the right time when the market was taking off in those care categories. And they, they did fine, but they weren't great sellers for us. We sell color. And for us, uh, as long as we continue to tap into bright, colorful products that give consumers the ability to create however they want to create, then um, we're satisfying our target audience, whether it be that younger millennial or that older Gen Z or that younger Gen Z. They're coming to us for color. And then I think one of the really important parts about targeting Gen Z, and this is something I read probably a year and a half ago from Business Insider, 60% of Gen Z purchases are based on price. You know, they're they're probably pretty new into the job market. You know, they don't have as much income to invest in a category like beauty. They love it, but they're very, very price driven. And so for us, it was very intentional that we did a price drop in our makeup category so that we could continue to target that Gen Z audience that wants Lime Crime, but they also need to be able to afford it.
0: How much did you drop those prices?
1: You know, every single product, it it, it ranged. I would say that, you know, our Sunkissed Glimmerine Skin Stick went from 25 to 15 Our lip products went from 18 to $20 down to 14 to $15. Every single thing, um, we looked at every single product on a one-off basis, and that's how we reset our pricing.
0: How are you able to achieve that, being an indie brand and being very digitally driven? Yeah, so
1: um, one, we've had a lot of expansion in retail, which has helped offset, you know, doing something like a price drop. So in the past, well, really in the past, like, I would say 14 months, we've rolled out 5,000 doors of distribution in the U.S. So we launched Sally Beauty for Hair Color. We have something very exciting with Sally Beauty coming up at the end of the year. We launched Walmart Hair Color at the beginning of the year, and we launched Target Hair Color. So growing distribution has really given us uh, the ability to, one, expand our brand awareness which in D2C is quite small, you know, retail is really where you get more brand awareness because you have more eyes on the brand. So it's allowed us to do two things. It's allowed us to offset the the price drop and also get more brand awareness. And then I would also just say, like, the pandemic greatly changed consumer perception. So, you know, going from a prestige brand to a mastige brand, a couple of years ago, that was like a huge no-no. And now with um, Target and Walmart being primary retailers that people shopped in in the pandemic, I, c- customers now go to those retailers for a different level of product than I think they ever have before. And so expanding to more mass channels has also allowed us to offset those
0: costs. I have a lot of questions, Andrea. You know, obviously this is really setting you up well in a way for obviously the recession or upcoming recession that's coming up, the supply chain constraints and rise in prices there. I'm wondering like how you're kind of negotiating all of that because a lot of other brands are raising prices right now, especially in beauty and wellness. Yeah.
1: So the other piece about this retail expansion is it allows us to hit higher MOQs so we get um, minimum order quantities. So it allows us to expand even further. So there, while like supply chain costs are going up, we have other things that are happening internally in our business that are allowing us to unlock these benefits for our consumers.
0: You know, something you said just a second ago about like moving from prestige to mastige brought up something for me because a couple of years ago I think people were really, you know, playing that only Sephora versus Ulta conversation if you were a digital brand. Obviously you guys have been in Ulta for a while, but you know, people keep having this conversation around being narrow and deep versus wide and it seems like you're able to do both a little bit by going into Walmart and Target and Sally because you're just offering Hair color. Is that part of the strategy? Is that testing those accounts first before, say, you go much bigger with your makeup business? So it's a little bit of
1: both. And I would say that each retailer, we really, um, it's been a a unique approach. So for us, um, you know, Sally Beauty is a huge, they have a huge ownership over vibrant hair color. And that really was the first opportunity to launch in Sally Beauty Doors was through tapping into their their ownership in this category. Sally Beauty owns that expert customer. They're looking for, you know, their hair colorists, their hairstylists, their makeup artists. So that customer is really going to Sally. And through launching Hair Color and having a very successful Hair Color launch, we now have opportunities of makeup. I would say that Walmart and Target is, it's also similar. You know, Lime Crime is is unique in that we are the only brand that has hair color and makeup. So we're, we're able to go into these larger retailers, tapping into the more unique category, and then makeup down the road is always
0: the goal. So yeah, you mentioned that like obviously makeup and hair color, that's a very unusual combination for most beauty brands. It's mostly makeup and skincare. So how are you kind of maybe matching those categories together? And what are the customer, what does the customer want from you
1: and how are they buying? Yeah. So in the past year, we've been trying more and more unique ways to bridge the categories. So for example, September of last year, we launched Bushy Brow Pomade Pencils. And we launched them in five neutral colors and then four unicorn hair colors. So we launched in Pony, which is a purple, a blue, a green, and a red, Valentine in red. And so seeing how our mix is, like an everyday color brand uh, that, you know, specializes in more natural makeup, I would see like their neutral trend spike for us the unicorn hair colors are in the top selling shades. So we definitely have some of the neutrals, but I would say the first the first color is like a brown and then everything else is pretty much unicorn hair color shades.
0: So does that make you think, you know, why do the neutrals at all? Or is it just, and go very far out with, with the bright colors? Or does that make you say, oh, we still need to have that balance?
1: I think we need to have that balance, but I don't think uh, we need to be the brand that has every single neutral shade in their assortment. So like, we'll always, in brow in particular, we'll always have like a brown, a blonde, um, for gel we'll have a clear, things like that, but we're never going to have every single neutral shade in that assortment. We'll cover the bases with neutral, and then we'll always add on our unicorn hair colors.
0: We'll be right back after this message. You talked a little bit about when you guys launched lip oil and lip scrubs in 2020, that didn't really resonate with the consumer as much as you think it probably could have for other brands. You know, that luckily probably came at a time when people weren't wearing a lot of makeup. So as you think about, you know, makeup's comeback, this idea of bolder looks, you know, how much do you want to push makeup in your own business? I think for Lime
1: Crime, a split of 50-50 is where I want to be. I want hair color to be 50% of our business, and I want makeup to be 50% of our business. And that's really how we treat it. We, we focus think- focus on both 50-50 from an internal team perspective.
0: So what do you think is driving the newness in makeup right now? Because, you know, it is, yes, bold looks. It is a lot more color. It is the euphoria craze that's going on out there. But for your consumer, who's always been a little bit edgier, bolder, what does she want? Or he?
1: Yeah. So I think that they want more um, unique applications of color so, we're launching things to make life a little bit easier to achieve those bolder looks. We have a very exciting launch next month that um will really change eye for our category. So I think it's about like multi use products, different ways to use them, different ways to experiment um and just making consumers' lives easier but still easier without having to compromise on color is really, really important for us, and that's where we're focused. We're, we're never going to be the brand that taps into, like, for example, right now, you know, um, natural skincare, natural makeup trends are really, really popular. We're never going to be that brand. So, like, I can tell you today and, you know, 10 years ago, Lime Crime would never launch Skin Perfecting. We won't do that ever. But it's, it's really how we look at um, taking the the insight behind the trend that's working and figure out how it applies to color. So making it easier.
0: Tell me a little bit about the demographic split right now, because you said it's 15 to 30 and the younger customer definitely is more price conscious. But, you know, for that older millennial, and I don't think 30 is necessarily older, but, you know, is she still gravitating to the brand the way that she maybe was when it was 2010, 2012? Yeah, I mean, listen,
1: I think... There's obviously been a lot of changes since 2010 and 2012. So I can't tell you that we've kept every single person from that time period at all. And um, I would say, though, the brand loyalists are still there. And it's really interesting where I see that loyalist um, react the most is on Instagram. And, you know, we can post someone doing like their perfect, quick, natural makeup look at home and it will get very little interaction. And when we post like a really bold, colorful, potentially like a little bit more uh like dark makeup look, that's where we get the interaction. So we see that 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 hardcore Lime Crime fan from a decade ago is still really interacting with the same kinds of content. Obviously, different content creators sometimes, sometimes still content creators from 10 years ago, but they they still interact with the same kinds of looks for Lime Crime, and that's not changing.
0: Speaking of how digitally focused you guys have been in the past, and obviously Instagram, you guys were one of the first players on there that was really doing these kind of bold, exciting looks on Instagram, you know, what's going on on the other channels? Like, how are you approaching YouTube today? Or how are you approaching TikTok? Like, where, what does your customer want to see from you there as well? Yeah, I would say for TikTok,
1: um, where we've seen the most traction is really, um, hair transformation, hair color transformations, and especially because it's such a DIY product to use at home. You know, it's very personal. People like to share their experience coloring their hair. They like to share the process. So on TikTok, it's really tapping into hair transformations and, um, how people are having fun with hair color at home. And then on YouTube, I would say that for us, um, It's more, I think what we do today is more leveraging some of those larger content creators and really tapping back into makeup. So I would say that like so far today we use YouTube for makeup and we use TikTok more for hair color.
0: And are you playing on any of these other nascent platforms? Are you thinking about them? Discord, Twitch, like what's going on in those spaces? We, We have
1: some upcoming stuff. For those um, those platforms through a larger partnership that I cannot talk about today, but I'm very excited about.
0: I mean, Andrea, you know, speaking of you specifically, you know, I know a couple of weeks ago you came out very boldly, n- unlike a lot of CEOs, I feel like, and came out and like almost as a founder would and said, you know, here I am, I'm Andrea, I'm the new CEO of Lime Crime. This is what this era of the brand is about. You know, tell me a little bit about what that was about and if we're going to be seeing more of you on social with the brand.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, where, where we've gone wrong in the past is that we haven't always been transparent about the changes in the company, the internal changes, those kinds of shifts and moves. And, um, I I think the more that I, you know, engage with my team about the brand and the love for the brand and the passion for the brand, it was just really apparent, like, we're, we're kind of just sharing it internally and not externally. And so we want everyone to understand that, you know, there is this new change at Lime Crime that obviously has been here for two years, but we haven't really talked about it. And we're an amazing group of people that are deeply, deeply in love with this brand and what it stands for, that there's no price on creativity and there's no rules in our world. Like What I love about Lime Crime is that I can wear the boldest lip look or the most natural brow look, and I can use all of Lime Crime's products, but I can really be myself and have fun with the brand without having like a prescriptive video on how to do this. And it just, it, it's really unique and special that, you know, you work for a brand that allows so much freedom of creativity and self-expression. And for me, it was really important because I've been playing with my hair color for two years since I've worked here. I've probably had about 40 different hair colors. That's and wild. It, it's been such a fun journey. And I mean, I dye my little cousin's hair all the time. And, you know, it's such like a A fun way to express yourself. And we just hadn't shared it externally. And I think for us, it was now the time to start humanizing the brand and really being transparent because, you know, the way that we all work internally is really transparently. And I want us to operate with our customers in that same regard
0: something that you said a moment ago, just about the idea of transparency and, and just, you know, it's not prescriptive. So much of the beauty landscape today is still very prescriptive. And you come from a legacy beauty background from big beauty, big corporations, you know, how, what's been the shift like for you personally, like as a leader, because there are no rules, like you're saying right now, there are, you are the top, you know, you're the buck stops with you versus maybe the many channels and layers that you haven't experienced at other and camp- other brands.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a very interesting journey just for leadership alone in a brand like this because I also went from huge companies. You know, I started my career in startup, but I went to Keel's when I was twenty-six years old. So I I was in the startup world in a very different level than I am today. And so I would say that for me, the number one thing is uh, surrounding myself with a team that is always willing to try. And, you know, we move quick, we try a lot of things, we learn from them, and then we plan the way forward. And I think in a startup environment like this, having a team that is really um, open-minded and willing to like look at all the opportunities out there and pick a couple of things that they really believe in and try them. And, you know, we do fail. And we learn from the failures and we move forward. And sometimes the learnings from the failures are even more important than the learnings from the wins. So um, I think for me, it's how uh, I, I open my mind up to that new way of thinking because, you know, that hasn't always been my thinking in the past in larger corporate environments. Um, and then how do we become more consumer focused? so because lime crime is small and agile and nimble we can react to our consumers their sentiment what they want from us at a much faster pace so for example one of the things that we've seen a ton in social is asking to bring back certain lip colors that are more unique than what exists today so We used to have blues and greens and things like that. So we have some really exciting product launches happening in Q4 of this year that really tap into what that consumer wants. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity for working on a brand like this is you get to get much closer to your customer and you get to hear them and actually deliver on what they're saying.
0: It's funny to hear you say how digitally focused and how startup focused Lime Crime still is. Because, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, you are still an indie brand, but you are maybe a little bit more mature than some of the brands that are coming to market today. So how do you kind of balance both of those things that, you know, there are more brands coming to market on Instagram or TikTok, TikTok or D2C at any given moment? And that you were a leader here, but need to also evolve with those new changes.
1: It's really interesting. And I I go back and forth personally on this all the time. Like, you know, when you open your mind to social, you get, uh, and now all the different social channels, there's such an influx of information and um, you can almost go into like analysis paralysis And so for, for me and our, my team, I think it's about getting really, really narrow and focused. So where we focus more so than on other brands coming into the space are the content creators. So like, what are the content creators doing? What kinds of products do they want? What are they using? That's not long crime. How can we satisfy that need? And I think it's just getting much more closer to the, the content creators What are the types of things that they're sharing? What are the products that they're using? What are the products that they're using that aren't Lime Crime? How can we satisfy that need? And I think for me, it's less about looking at like what other brands are doing on social. And it's much more looking at content creators and how do we... um, tap into that and how do we satisfy more of their needs? That's really where I look for like inspiration to fill gaps, to change what we're doing, to change our way of thinking.
0: And is there anything that's sparking your interest or inspiring you right now in terms of what you are seeing on TikTok or Instagram or anywhere? Yeah. um, I
1: mean, very recently, and this is less product, but much more just about like how content creators are reacting with the brand, you know, some of these big changes got picked up by a lot of different beauty accounts and beauty handles. And uh, I was obviously staying really close to the conversation on all the channels. And I was noticing that our content creators were answering people's questions on different on all different like all different ways all different social channels all different accounts and they were actually doing like community management for Lime Crime and so that made me one so incredibly happy that our content creators are so engaged with the brand that in their spare time they're going and answering questions from other people about Lime Crime and the changes that are happening and they're super proud to be working with us. We, we're building long lasting relationships with them. But for me, that was a moment of validating the strategy of like getting closer to our content creators and how do we leverage them more in what we do. And you know, we we don't really use models, and I don't ever want to use models. Are the content creators are like the heart and soul of the brand. So. That to me was like such, um, it it just filled my cup in so many different ways. I was just really, it was a really proud moment for me.
0: Andrew, shifting gears a little bit, when you think about like the rest of the year, obviously we're in June right now. We have a long, we're in the second half of the year, but what are your key priorities for the brand? Because like you said, you've only been here for two years. You have been quietly chugging along internally. And it really seems like this is a moment for the brand to be like, Hey, we're back. We've always been here, but we're back in a bigger way. Yeah, so I think, you know,
1: we've had a hard two years of just like navigating so many different changes in the business and so many different changes externally. And so for me, I'm really focused on bringing color innovation and that vibrancy into all of our launches. So in the second half of the year, I already brought this up like eight times, but I'm very excited about what consumers will see from a product launch perspective and what we're delivering on when it comes to creativity and color. So that for me is a huge priority. The second priority is just, you know, in in the world of supply chain shifts and lags and all of that, it's just getting um, more internally focused on bringing things in earlier and making sure that we can deliver on launch dates because supply chain issues are just, they're getting worse and worse. So we need to be even more planful in our business and just really, really thinking, you know, something that you would be planning for nine months, you probably need to plan for 15 months right now. Um, And then I have two really exciting, larger partnerships that I'm working on for the brand that I can't announced today, but hopefully I can announce very soon. And then we have a ton of different product, um, not just product collaborations, but uh, brand partnerships that we've been working on. And that's the one thing we haven't talked about. But one of the the huge ways that we've been tapping into new consumers, and particularly that Gen Z audience, is through brand collaborations so we've been working with so many unique brands that just are outside of the box, that spark so much joy for me, for my team. And so I think doing more of that. So for example, we just launched a candle with Ardent Candle. Um, it's so fun. It brings the Lime Crime Unicorn logo to life and a candle that smells like our hair dye, which if you've never smelled it is absolutely addicting. It's like the sugary, sweet, delicious scent. Um, uh, so there's there's
0: so many moments like that this year that I'm just so excited about. The partnership piece of it, you know, Andrea, I know we didn't touch on this as much as we probably could have. Did you mean more creator partnerships or retail partnerships or brand partnerships like the Arden Candle or all of the above? It's kind of all of the above, actually. We have some new
1: retail expansion going in. We have content creator partnerships coming up, but then we also have some larger ambassadorship partnerships happening and so there's it's really all of the above but like this is the year of like collaborations and partnerships for us. Andrew
0: thank you so much for being here we have a lot more to talk about in our next conversation. Thanks a ton for having me it was so fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.